Welcome first-time listeners and returners to the Sports Deli. The Sports Deli is sponsored by SportRx. SportRx is the leader in sports prescription eyewear. You can find them online at sportrx.com. And don't forget to enter the code DELI10 at checkout for your special 10% discount. We also want to give props to PSK Collective. Be inspired in PSK, where their clothing promotes inclusivity, empowerment, and equality by supporting female athletes through the Women's Sports Foundation. You can find them online at pskcollective.com or at walmart.com. We also want to thank citylokes.com, where you can get your own personalized hats and phone cases, tees, accessories, home decor, sunglasses, and much, much more. I ordered two hats, and they're amazing. Uh, One of them says the Sports Deli, and it has a California license plate, and the other one has a Michigan license plate and says, Speak Up and Dribble, Black Lives Matter. They have U.S. state license plates. They have U.S. state flag hats. They have Wood Jacks hats, custom image hats, work hats, street sign hats, Mexico license plates, natural leather patches, printed leather patches, embroider hats, straw hats, and and much, much more. So check them out at citylokes.com, and don't forget to enter the code the Sports Deli at checkout for your special 10% discount. You can always send us an email to thesportsdeli at gmail.com. And you can also DM us on Instagram at Mike Hootner or on Twitter at Michael Hootner. A little bit about Hootie Hoot. I coached college basketball for 23 years, 15 on the men's side and 8 on the women. And I now coach at a low-income first-generation high school girls basketball here in San Diego. I played four years of college basketball. I'm a life coach. I have a beautiful daughter. I'm a professional basketball skills trainer. We love to share space with our guests here in the Sports Deli to talk about the intersection between race and sports, mental health and sports, equality, empowerment, empathy, leadership, education, sports, and solutions. We talk a lot about white privilege. We want to help mobilize, listen, learn, and pay it forward. Remember, your voice matters when fighting systemic racism. Read a book, acknowledge your white privilege, watch a movie about institutional racism, call your local or state representatives, and or have a conversation with someone that doesn't look like you. We have to change the economic, educational, police, housing, prison, and voting suppression narratives that currently need to be changed in this country And the only way to do that is to listen and learn and then help be a part of the mobilization and change that we want to see. We're so honored that you're joining us today. And we hope that you can grab your favorite deli sandwich or bagel and your favorite beverage. And let's do this together in the sports deli. We are joined today on the second to last day of Women's History Month by Joanna Lohman, who hails to us from Silver Spring, Maryland, and is a former American professional soccer midfielder and defender. She shares a birthday with Derek Jeter. She played her (laughs) college ball at Penn State, where she was the first four-time first-teamer in school history. She had a 3.9 GPA, and I want to know who in the hell gave her an A-. In 2004, she was named Pennsylvania NCAA Woman of the Year. Loman played professional soccer for 16 plus years and is a former member of the United States Women's National 
soccer team. Loman helped launch an organization called Go Athletes that aim to encourage schools to create safer spaces for lesbian, gay, transgender, bisexual, and questioning athletes. She helped create the first carbon neutral calculator for office buildings, resulting in an invitation to meet former Vice President Al Gore. Definitely want to hear more about that later. She's an author in her book, Raising Tomorrow's Champions, What the Women's National Team Teaches Us About Grit, Authenticity, and Winning as a Guide for Parents to Help Them Navigate the Soccer Scene at All Levels. She's a professional speaker for leading organizations such as Department of State and Procter and Gamble. She also serves as a sport diplomat traveling the world. She's been to over 40 countries and running programs in less developed nations like India that promote gender equality, conflict resolution, cultural understanding, and economic development. She's done a TED Talk, and you want to stick around to hear this incredible and inspiring journey as she shares her uncomfortable ride to the top. Joanna lived the first 21 years of her life as a straight woman and transformed into a gender non-conforming androgynous gay woman who has overcome devastating injury, defeat, and heartbreak. You can find her on her website, joannaloman.com. Joanna's with two N's and Loman's with an H there in the middle. On Instagram at joannaloman15, where she has over 17,000 followers, or on Twitter at Joanna Loman, no 15 at the end, with over 14,000 followers, and a big, huge, fat, P-H-A-T, fat, warm welcome to the Sports Deli. I love your background. Oh, thanks. Yeah, it's it's a work in progress. No, it's so cool. You have so many, like, cool knickknacks back there. <laughs> you know, I are you tired from reading that introduction? <laughs> you listed all of those things. And uh, I want to say that my most proud piece of that intro is my GPA. My college GPA is definitely my favorite. I want to know who in the hell gave you that A minus. And I'm dead serious about that shit too. <laughs> Honestly, no joke. I got the worst grade in college in what they called like the easy athlete course because <laughs> oh my God. I didn't pay attention and I didn't study. So that's, that's a lesson for your for the kids out there. Oh my God. 3.998. I'd be livid. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. So, um, so awesome that you're with us, you know, and I, I look at what life happens to you when you're making other plans kind of thing. And, and yeah, of uh, your, yeah, your story is just uh, really amazing. And, um, you know, I remember watching, you know, Randy, you know, in the slide and, you know, that those are my memories of, of women's soccer and how I don't really know if it changed people's views on soccer, but it, it definitely, um, you know, made an imprint in, into our consciousness. So let's, let's go back to when you were younger. Um, how, how did you formulate that tough mind, uh, you know, mindset where you could just, uh, you know, battle through so many different things probably as a kid? You know, I think uh, all the players that we interviewed over a hundred U.S. Women's national team players dating back to 1985. And it's, it's no shock actually how many of them had older siblings and how many of those siblings mm. were older brothers, because having an older brother myself, you know that every day was a chance for them to just beat you down <laughs> and for you to play sports with them. So um, in one of the chapters, I describe a song that my brother used to sing to me. He used to say, I am the best and you are the worst. And he used to <laughs> sing that to me throughout my childhood. So I think I was shaped, shaped and molded to overcome adversity from a very young age. And I think that's, you'll find that as a common theme for a lot of top female athletes, especially that they started off uh, playing sports with their older brother and more times than not, you're losing more times than not, you're getting knocked down. And then you're just forced 
really to pick yourself back up again. And uh, you always want to come back the next day and uh, play again. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, I just listened an hour ago to uh, KJ Live. He's a former UCLA mm-hmm. basketball player. Chris Johnson, his dad was Marcus Johnson. He had Shea Cotton on. And Shea Cotton talked about that very thing where his brother was literally, you know, beating his ass in terms of basketball and, you know, showing him the ropes in the backyard and all that type of thing and, you know, uh, making, making him tough. And it's, it, it leads me to a question that I think about that maybe you want to expound upon with regards to your book and some of the stories that you, that you uh, talk about in the book, but, you know, I got cut three times. Yeah. And and so I had a different why than somebody who was either just tall naturally or quick naturally, or, you know, you had injuries and you Mm -hmm. had to over, you had to overcome a lot of things. So talk about what your why was and, and, and did you, did you, besides your family kind of thing, and the dynamic there were there other things where you're like man i'm not really as good as i think i am i i need to really you know work harder to to get to that level so you mentioned the 1999 women's world cup team yeah. and the moment that brandy chastain ripped off her shirt and exposed her nike sports bra and flexed her muscles for the whole world <laughs> so i was um i was about 17 18 at that point and i was living in the washington dc area like you said and I was one of the lucky uh, players, local players that got invited to the White House to mm-hmm. celebrate the Women's World Cup victory. Wow. And so with my own eyes, I got to witness Brandi Chastain, Mia Hamm, Brian Escuri, mm-hmm. who you mentioned, all players that we interview in our book, walk out of their team bus and into the lawn of the White House and you know, be celebrated by President Clinton and have the crowd just screaming um, their names. And wow. that moment right then, I knew I wanted to be in their shoes one day, right? It was, it was such an iconic moment, not just the World Cup victory, but to see what those women were able to do in terms of selling out stadiums on the cover oh. of Time Magazine. You know, they oh. were absolute rock stars. And I was one of a million girls who were inspired throughout mm-hmm. that tournament to really, and have a vision and their dream of being, being a part of the national team one day. So you know, that, that was my moment and that gave me a tangible goal to reach. And I, then I went into Penn state university and I really, it really launched the, my motivation um, from that point on. It's interesting. Uh, we're living in a time now where, um, you know, things can be cyclical or people can uh, fight for something and then it gets sort of swept under the carpet or mm-hmm. there's, you know, there's a momentary uh, uh, sport moment where we're inspired and then it sort of goes away and so now we you know we we've had this pandemic obviously we had a racial reckoning um you know uh there's been a lot since the me too movement and so that's a little bit different now where it's a a sort of a multi-thing right it's it's not only encouraged now Mm -hmm. it's 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 not frowned upon there's endorsements that aren't threatened Right. by standing up for what you believe in, gender equality, systemic racism, and those types of things. But back then, uh, it was a little bit different if you're fighting for equal pay um, yep. versus now, you know, which has changed dramatically, obviously, with, with women's soccer, um, trying to bridge that gap. So talk, I want you to talk about two things, if you would. Um, one, that, that mm-hmm. I just talked about. And the second thing is, pre-first 21 years of your life, Mm-hmm. and post and and how you came to that conclusion and the courage to I guess you could say come out of the closet yeah. or just uh be true to who you who you really 
were or are or didn't realize until later, you know, tell, share that. Part yeah. I mean, I would love to first address what you talked about is the, the evolution of how athletes now are using their platform for social justice. You know, uh, the women's national team has been, I would say the most socially significant and influential team in history. Um, you saw even back in the 99 days where they were, you know, really working to sell out stadiums, they were, they were exceeding expectations that everyone placed upon them. Um, and there's a, there's a, a famous scene really is Brianna Scurry makes the winning save and she walks over to kiss her girlfriend and the cameras pan away from her. And now, um, as you evolve through the years, you have Abby Wambach, who is also a, a very famous um, LGBTQ player on the team. She was on the cover of a magazine kissing her then wife at the time mm -hmm. after one of their victories. And now you have someone like Megan Rapinoe, who's, you know, saying to the press, you can't win without the gays, baby. It's science right there. So you've, you see with your own eyes this incredible evolution. Um, and that's not even including, you know, gender and race that we have in there because like you said, players now are um, almost expected to use their platform in, in ways that <clears throat> speak to social justice. But I, I think it's the players originally, the players many, many years back who, like Billie Jean King, Martina Navratilova, who really uh, were ostracized for being their true selves um, and for standing up for social justice issues and lost their sponsorships, right? Players mm -hmm. felt threatened by that and players were, were nervous. And now you start seeing players who are standing up for social justice get those sponsorships because of it. So I think it's been an incredible evolution, but I think we have to give a lot of credit to the athletes, um, Colin Kaepernick, you know, who, who actually lost their jobs from standing up for what they believe in, because it's, now it's much safer for athletes to do it today. And for me personally, you know, I was, I was engaged to a man at the age of 21. Um, I always say I got hit by the gay stick and came flying out of the closet, but really I had, I had my first experience with a woman. And at that point, I just, I knew this was kind of the life that I was meant to lead. Mm -hmm. And it was pretty organic in a sense. You know, I didn't, um, there was no coming out moment publicly. Mm -hmm. uh, I had a moment with my parents. It was at first difficult for them because I did a complete 180. And I think for parents, you kind of have to mourn the death of who you thought your child was going to be. You all have visions of who your child is going to become. And when your child sort of shatters that vision, you have to really come to terms with that. So, you know, that was the moment with my parents. And then doing for research for our book, Raising Tomorrow's Champions, we discovered that I was really the first out female soccer player, even before Abby, even before Megan. And that was just naturally like living my life openly and honestly, you know, I didn't have necessarily the huge, the biggest platform, but the platform I did have, I was being very truthful and I was, you know, just living my life like anyone else would. And so I think it just was a natural coming out process for me. And then uh, my advocacy grew over the years because of all the positive responses I was getting, the impact I was making on the fans and the supporters and just seeing how much, it mattered for someone to raise their hand for the community and really invest my time and energy into, um, you know, making that space safer for those who come, come behind me. You talk about safe spaces and it hasn't always been like that. There's been a lot of pioneers that have come before when, you know, um, whether it's social or gender equity and Billie Jean King said that uh, you're a bold and dynamic force for good. Your courage to fight for social justice and to live authentically and inspire others to do the same 
is at the core of your commitment to create tremendous positive change. Just really some unbelievably powerful words uh, from Billie Jean King, obviously a pioneer in her own right, and uh, the founder of the Women's Sports Foundation, whose president, Phaedra Knight, was also you know, on our podcast and, and talked to a lot about some of the things that, you know, you've been fighting for, you, you know, your entire adult life as well. So to that point, uh, you know, we still don't have, as we approach the 50th anniversary of Title IX next year, equal, seeing the ridiculousness that was the NCAA. I always say when you have situations, anything short of uh, death in terms of uh, racism and those types of examples, it's an opportunity conversation. And so, you know, you want to create, like you said, these safe spaces um, that aren't frowned upon where there's no bullying or those types of things. So how do we approach Mm -hmm. this in a a constructive way, get them to understand that there's a different generation kid now, you know, wants to be open about things, but you have a lot of old school sort of coaches. Yeah. You know, it's, it's funny you say that even I can give a few examples today. You know, my partner and I are planning a wedding and she's making a couple calls. Yes. And they automatically say to her, your husband, right? And she's like, no, it's, it's my wife. It's my partner. So it's, it's yeah. the stereotypes that we almost unconsciously hold in our brains and the language right. that we use to express them can be very damaging. So from a coach's perspective of being very gender neutral in your language, mm-hmm. uh, you never know necessarily, unless you speak to an individual, how they identify. So starting off with players' pronouns can be an amazing thing. Also totally. to use those gen- gender neutral terms of, you know, parents, you don't say mother and father because you could have two same sex parents on your team. Uh, You, you know, dress codes are very important. You know, don't force kids to wear anything that uh, really fits into these gender boxes because they not, they may not feel comfortable in those, um, in those dress codes. So it's like language, um, what we say in the locker room, um, making sure you have like an open door policy that your players can come speak to you about anything and know that they can trust that you can keep whatever they tell you um, in, in confidence, just in case, you know, they tell you something that's sensitive Um, and just being really like a pillar of strength for your kids. And I think that comes first and foremost with just building trust with your players and wanting to understand them and getting to know them as human beings. I think so very often we treat athletes and even athletes, we have this issue of just identifying ourselves and very restrictive labels and our identity is, is solely based around being that athlete. But we have so many different dimensions to our uh, character and it's important that we address all those dimensions and that the coaches tap into those because that's really how you motivate an individual is by getting to know them personally, getting to know their family, understanding their background, where they come from, um, the things that really you know spark joy out of them. And I think that's really where you get those relationships that can be, you know, transformative and life-changing. Yeah. I never understood uh, why it was so scary for coaches to put on whatever hat was necessary. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe that's just because my mom was a psychotherapist and I sort of grew up with that outside the box kind of thinking forward thinking, you know, mm-hmm. the holistic, holistic approach towards a person, as opposed to compartmentalizing them and putting them into this box, like you said, and, and, you know, just, uh, I'm a coach. That's it. I, you know, I, I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a, you know, and it's like, man, just like you said, let it organically just happen. Like it's, it's, they're not going to violate the, the player coach, you know, trust, if anything, you're going to enhance it. And it's just like the same mindset of why we discriminate or, 
why you know we we don't want uh, women in spaces where decisions are made like the notorious rbg would say you know it's like you're enriching and ma- and creating depth and making mm-hmm. something more valuable and mm-hmm. and more nurturing and more loving and <laughs> it's it's just amazing that that uh uh antiquated thinking is is still there but like like some people have said on the show you you want things to sort of happen organically it's like you don't want something rammed down your throat like yeah. none of none of yeah. us like that um yeah. so you know it's 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 uh sometimes hard to to be a thoughtful listener yeah you know, definitely. it's like it's like you and i having to to go over to the racist side it's like mm-hmm. it's 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 unfathomable but we have to think how hard it is for them to come over to our side, yeah, you know, yeah. especially when it's a generational thing. My grandma always would use this word schwarze, you know, which doesn't quite mean the N word in Yiddish, but it's derogatory towards the African-American community. You know, and I had to tell her, uh, I didn't have to, but I said, grandma, you can't say those types of things. She was living with us for six months uh, recently. And she's like, well, I didn't mean anything by it. You know, and, and like you said, the language matters. Like the, mm-hmm. these, it's not necessarily an intended microaggression, but, but it does matter, um, you know, when you're talking about people in these different spaces. So, you know, I applaud you for your lifelong commitment yeah, to this. Thank and thank uh, Took you 21 years, <laughs> took you long enough. No, I'm just kidding. But, you know, it's, it's important that, like you said, people are, have an open door policy. Uh, and I think that's becoming more accepted, which is, which is a good thing. Um, so when you went overseas a lot, right? You love to travel. I don't know if you love to yeah. travel initially, but you, you clearly love to travel. You've been to 40 countries. Um, you know, were you at Penn State when Joe Paterno and all that stuff was going on? I was actually, yeah. Wow. I was there from 2000 to 2004. Um, and those were, I think, one of the four worst years of our football team's history. Um, so wasn't wasn't any good years for football, but we did well as a as a women's soccer program. And yeah, I've after college, you know, the league in the United States folded. So I was forced to go play overseas. And yeah. that really sparked my, you know, joy for traveling. So now I think I've been to over 45 different countries. <laughs> That's great. Uh, I've been to Africa four years in a row, wow. uh, pre-COVID. And yeah, you know, you're talking about um, you know, just talk about differences. I think from my own personal experiences. I've come to find that people are afraid of, of what they don't know. Mm-hmm. And they sometimes think different can be dangerous. So, you know, when I'm traveling overseas, I get, I get taken in all sorts of ways, right? Sometimes I look like an alien from outer space dropping in some of these countries. You know, I've been to um, Cote d'Ivoire, Niger, Nigeria, Botswana. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of times they've never seen a woman that has looked like me before with this, you know, wicked mm-hmm. Mohawk. Um, muscles and just really has a more masculine physique. And so very often I get confused for a man or a boy, they call me sir. And I think that's just wow. where you're super patient with people and you have to, sure. you know, I think one of my greatest gifts in this world is to help expand the definition of what, what a woman can look like and what a woman can do. So mm-hmm. Sometimes, you know, you really want to invite that resistance because you realize you are then moving the needle in terms of, um, you know, progressiveness and understanding. So Patience. You know, I was really proud of the first three chapters of our book um, in Raising Tomorrow's Champions because they deal with gender orientation and race. And I think this book can really spark conversations that are typically very uncomfortable for parents to have with their children. 
Um, and they, you get to talk about them through stories from the greatest soccer players of all time. So, you know, you're talking about Mia Hamm in chapter one, in terms of gender, you're talking about um, players like Abby Wambach and Lori Lindsay in the LGBTQ chapter. And then you're talking about, you know, the 30, 31 players um, who have been black from the U.S. women's national team and all of their stories. So it's just, mm. it's important that we talk about these issues and it's important that we uplift voices of those who are affected by um, a lot of the current situations that we have today. So that was, you know, really important for us in our book and just something that I've learned throughout my travels in around the world. Yeah, that's, that's incredible. And you've had a lot of different coaches. Uh, what have, what have you learned? Is there any common themes with coaches that you respect the most in all of your travels and experiences having played for so many years and on the national team? Yeah, no, definitely. I think that from what I've, my own experiences and also from our research in this book and interviewing coaches like Anson Dorrance, right. And mm -hmm. uh, Jerry Smith and at Santa Clara, it's, Coaches need to be one, authentic, and two, honest. I think great players and any player just wants to just wants honesty and they want to be able to build that trust with the coach. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that starts number one with like being your authentic self as a coach. Um, I think a lot of times you want players to problem solve on their own. So you don't want to be giving direction 24-7. You don't want to be a joystick coach. So it's giving mm -hmm. players responsibility, autonomy to make decisions and just supporting supporting them to be their best selves within that team structure interesting you mentioned jerry smith you know he's been at santa clara a long time mm -hmm. and obviously that's one of the semi-controversial parts of the book where you know his sort of old school yeah. i don't know if it's my way or the highway kind of thing but it's just yeah. more of you know the tough love and you know obviously he's been grandfathered no pun intended been grandfathered in uh, you know, in terms of his coaching style. Um, and that can still work if you have a balance, mm -hmm. right? But uh, talk about a little bit his style and, and you know, um, how to approach someone who's more of, you know, hey, if you got to throw up, throw up, go throw up and come back and, uh, <laughs> you know, suck it up kind of thing, you yeah. know, sort of old school. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think the world of coaching is evolving like all of life is. And I think, you know, you have to know as a coach how to motivate each player. There's no cookie cutter answer. You know, I think Jerry knows that because he has individual meetings every week with each one of his players. You know, he, mm -hmm. he really talks about in the book about how coaches talk too often to the team and too infrequently to the players themselves. So I'd like to believe that Jerry has a good pulse on the, on his, on the heartbeat of his own team. Mm -hmm. And his players speak so glowingly, glowingly of him because of how he's handled these situations. Um, but I do think there are coaches that really walk that line, um, from, you know, pushing their kids too hard to abuse. And mm -hmm. it's, it's sometimes it's difficult. It's difficult as a parent to know what is too much for my child, you know, mm -hmm. but it's very, it's, it should be unique to that kid. If, if that, if your child is, is not happy, is not developing ever goes to practice with a like strong sense of fear unable to make mistakes because of what the coach may or may not say to them. I think that's a situation where we really have to, you know, second guess, is this the right environment for my child? Mm -hmm. Because some kids need to be pushed harder, right? Some kids really appreciate that extra nudge and they want that really intense coach. Some other players, they, they need someone who's a little bit less intense. They need someone who's going to 
really just kind of be there and giving that encouragement. So it's really finding the right environment for your child. And, you know, every, you know, two, three months checking in and saying, are you happy? Are you developing? You know, it's just, it should be a constant communication as opposed to just, just speaking when things are going wrong. Right. I think that's one thing I really want to encourage parents and players and coaches is just have this consistent communication because when you're left in the dark, so much is put up for speculation you know, you come up with your own answers, which may or may not be true. So I think that constant communication is just so important between coach, player, and parent. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. It's, it's, uh, there's no necessarily manual for it, but there are some, mm-hmm. some obviously common things that, uh, you know, can help parents navigate and they have to be introspective a little, like they have to be open to listening to the coaches and, and the coach has to be open you know, right. for, for reciprocity and, and a little bit of, you know, feedback, giving back into the system. Cause still, I, you know, I hear coaches all the time, you know, uh, you know, no parent involvement, which yeah. like, like I get for the most part, um, you know, like at the college level or something like that. Yeah. But yeah. I think there has to be some interaction just so you have a greater understanding mm-hmm. of maybe where the kid is coming from and those types of things, you know, not to necessarily create equality, but fairness, which is what yeah. I've always said. Yeah. I think that, you know, the, the key is what you don't want as a parent coaching on the sideline, right? Because it's difficult for the, for the kid. It's, it's difficult yeah. for the coach because they feel like, you know, you have an extra coach on the sideline and it just, it's not beneficial. So I think that's, you know, encouraging parents to watch their children, enjoy watching their children and let the coaches do their job um, and just really be the support system for your child because that's really what they need. They don't need another coach. Yeah. Um, how was it to play with so many amazing women on the, on the soccer team? Like, were you just like, like, like awestruck, like every time you stepped out there and you're just like, am I really w- playing with these people? You know, cause a lot of them were older when you were like, like you said, we're on. Yeah. Yeah. So I think my first national team experiences were, you know, with Mia Hamm, Brittany Chastain, Brian Scurry, Joy Fawcett, uh, Julie Foudy. So of course you have, you have that deep, deep respect for those players, but mm. you can't, you can't be superstar struck because you have to play yeah. against them every single day in training. So you have to bring, you have to bring your A game and you have to bring a, a certain level of confidence just to be able to step on the field with them. And I think you fall back on your training, right? It all comes down to how much you've prepared, how much um, you have put into getting to that level and you realize that you deserve to be there just like everybody else. And, um, you really have a role to play on that team. So a bit of it is, you know, I'm just super excited. I have a deep respect for these players, but now it's time to compete against them. Yeah. Um, you know, you look back on things, right. Time flies. Mm-hmm. And, um, when you look back on it, you know, there's always crossroads where you ask yourself, is it worth it? Like you sort of touched on, um, yeah why am I doing this? I'm not going to be a pro anyways. I mean, you were, but a lot, most people aren't right. Right, And so when I hear that now, after having coached college basketball for 23 years and uh, have aspirations to possibly get back to that level and, and I'm helping kids individually. Like I have a kid now that got cut three times in three Mm -hmm. years and he's Mm -hmm. legit. And I just said, go be the team manager. And he did. And I mean, this kid's legit, but he got cut three times. Coaches make mistakes. And so one of the things that's um, the worst things in the world, and you know, this is to have regrets and you could have yeah. quit after your injuries. You yeah. could have, you could have said the heck with this when, when, t- when, when leagues folded and teams mm-hmm. didn't want you and teams traded you and you're like, nah, 
I got a, I got a deep rooted uh, passion for this. And I know one day it's going to be gone and I don't want to have any regrets. And so even if someone doesn't go pro, what do we say to them about how there's such an important correlation that they won't realize until later about life skills and relationships and interpersonal uh, mm-hmm. tools that they're going to put into their toolbox, you right. know, and, th- and things like that, that make it worth fighting through and grinding it out. Yeah, you said it so well. I think you should play as long as you can at the level that you can. And, you know, luckily for me, I, you talk about passion. I had such a deep passion for the game. It wasn't even for me about making the national team. It wasn't about getting a college scholarship. The end goal, it was there off in the distance and it was my end goal. Well, first of all, it wasn't my parents. And second of all, it wasn't in the forefront of my mind. I just love to play. And that is really what like drove the fire that I had in my eyes is because I just wanted to keep playing at the highest level that I could because I just absolutely loved it. And I think if you love to play the sport and there's so many benefits to just playing, right? Mm -hmm. To being out on the field as a part of a team, you know, you understand focus, determination, teamwork, um, resiliency, resourcefulness, you build all of these skills that are transferable to anything that you do off the field. And so you talked about these players who don't make it to the highest level. That's 99% of the players, right? And playing sport is still so important for them. And you can play at any level. Even in college, they have club, you know, they have rec team. You can still get involved in the sport and play for as long as you can. And as long as your body holds up, if you want to. And Mm -hmm. If you don't make it to the highest level, I don't want people to be ashamed of that. I don't want them to be embarrassed that they didn't make it to the highest level because first of all, it's hard as hell. And second of all, it takes like a lifetime of commitment. It's not easy. And you really have to choose the sport over so many other aspects of life. And and sacrifices. Not many individuals are that passionate about the sport to choose it over 99% of their life. So it's still so important for people to have the opportunity to play and participate and do it at whatever level that they feel comfortable. Um, really that's my message is just to keep playing as long as you can um, because the benefits of sport will, will take, you know, you take those benefits from sport and transfer it to whatever you're super passionate about and you're going to be able to make it pretty high. Well, I think one of the things that I've realized in my private training, because I do some private skills training from professionals to kids, especially the younger ones, they do not realize a lot of them, unless things come very easily to them, how Mm -hmm. hard, and you heard of the 10,000 hour thing, um, Mm -hmm. you know, the reps, how hard and how monotonous oftentimes and how Mm -hmm. boring it can be, but but, you know, the journey is where you learn more about yourself right? and yeah. you, you find yourself and how you see the world. And there's so many other things that come out of it, but that's not always emphasized. And mm-hmm. so I hope people listening realize, man, it's it's so worth it. I, if I hadn't played college ball for four years and and, uh, you know, been involved in sports my whole life, I you talk about regrets, man. Yeah. I, and. And it was because I got cut three times and I was pissed at the world and my dad mm-hmm. killed himself when I was nine. And, you know, I had all kinds of whys yeah. uh, as to, you know, why I wanted to prove everybody wrong and work hard. And I, and like you, I love to compete. Like there's nothing like, you right. know, leaning my body into somebody and, mm-hmm. you know, hitting an and one or playing tennis and, yeah. you know, yeah. finishing, finishing that shot to, to win the point, you know, those types of things. And you know what I mean? Like those, those yeah. types of things, those moments are, are what you remember. 
You are listening to an interview with Joanna Lohman, who played on the U.S. national women's soccer team, and she visited Bill Clinton in the White House after the 2004 Olympics, where the United States team comprised of Mia Hamm and Julie Foudy, Brianna Scurry, and others defeated Brazil 2-1 on an extra-time goal by Abby Wambach. We hope you're enjoying this incredible interview with Joanna. So grab your favorite deli sandwich or bagel and refill your beverage as we get ready for the final segment with Joanna Lohman right here in the Sports Deli with Hootie Hoot. Let me ask you a question. Um, we're, we're sort of living in a time where there's a collaborative white voice, mm-hmm. um, which we've never really seen before. Uh, people like you, people like in the NBA, like uh, Kyle Korver, you know, Sue, Megan. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, obviously Megan and Sue are a power couple, you know, and I've heard Sue on Clubhouse. Uh, uh, I don't know if Megan's been there also, but uh, when I've been in there, I've, you know, I've, I've seen Mark Cuban in there. You know, there's just a lot of powerful people having a collective voice to talk about these types of things, which I personally believe that that's what's necessary. Um, is, yeah. is that your, is that what, you, how you feel about it, that there has to be a continued white collective voice uh, about all of these issues so that we can get policies changed, whether it's, you know, uh, in the LGBTQ plus community or whether it's regards to policy in sports or, you know, things, the narrative changing. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I think, you know, as a as a white woman, I have an incredible amounts of privilege, right? And mm-hmm. that privilege is a responsibility to be a voice for her, those who are voiceless. And I've felt that way for so long, whether it be the LGBTQ community or racial justice. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just such an important part of who I am. And having traveled so much all over the world, I think you realize how privileged you are to be a white woman in America. Um, you just have so many incredible resources uh, laid at your feet. And I think for me, that's just even more of a responsibility to stand up for those who don't have the same amount of resources and don't have the same privileges that I do. So that's going to be a big part of, you know, that's a big part of who I am and a big part of what Raising Tomorrow's Champions is about. Because if you buy the book on our website, uh, we give a drop down menu of organizations that you can choose to give part of the proceeds to. So we really wanted to put action behind our words and, you know, money behind our words to really help these organizations that are doing great work in this space. Mm. Um, And, you know, for LGBTQ, we have Play Proud. For gender, we have the Mia Hamm Foundation, Women's Sports Foundation. For racial justice, we have the um, Black Women's Players Coalition uh, within the NWSL. So it's important for us to really uh, work with these organizations and make sure that we're uplifting their voices and, and their contribution to the community. Yeah, that's awesome. Love the cover of the book with, with Thank you. you on the cover, getting mm-hmm. ready to you do that bicycle kick. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever do a bicycle kick for a goal in, in the Well, pros? this is actually from a game. This is, I scored a goal <sighs> with that kick, but I'm, so I'm going to just clarify that I, I, I'd call it a tricycle kick because I don't like <laughs> that very high, to be honest. So if you're looking for like a traditional bicycle kick, I wouldn't look for that highlight, but um, it's still, it's still a decent play, you know, I made a Heck book yeah. cover. Totally. That's so freaking great. I love it. Uh, all right, let's get to the, this or that and buckle your seatbelts and, and then wherever it goes, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll just go from there. Okay. So Brandy or Julie. Oh, uh, I'm going to say Julie Foudy. All right. Abby or Mia. Abby. 
whose perspective in your book surprised you? Hmm, that's a really great question. Um, whose perspective? Uh, I think, you know, Abby Wambach was one of my favorite interviews. We interviewed her on her four-year anniversary of her sobriety. And as you know, she's married to Glennon Doyle now and has children. So she's not only coming from the, the, the angle of being one of the greatest players of all time, and she's now coming from the angle of also being a soccer parent. So to hear her opinions of her sideline antics and what you should say to your kids on the ride home, that was, that was super powerful because I think she's, wow. she's such a, she's such an amazing voice for women's soccer. And I don't know if you've seen her recent commercial with Usain Bolt, but she's just like an all around badass. That's cool. I haven't, I'll check it out. I probably can yeah. see it on YouTube or something, right? Yeah, for sure. It's, it's kind of like a knockoff on the Mia Hamm original commercial with Michael Jordan. Oh, yeah. Nice. Like anything, anything you can do, I can do better kind of. That's so cool. Kind of vibe. Yeah, I'm going to check that out for sure. I'm surprised I haven't seen it because I'm usually up to speed on that type of stuff. That's awesome. Okay, so if there was a movie made about you, who would you like to play your part in the movie? <sighs> questions. Um, who would play my part? Uh, I'm trying to think of who has like a haircut like mine or. Uh, How about Jodie the- Foster? Okay, there you go. I like it. <laughs> yeah, Jodie Foster is great. Uh, waffles, pancakes, or French toast? Pancakes. Nice. Anything, any kind in particular? Uh, banana pancakes. Oh, wait. Uh, in the pancakes or on top? No, in the pancakes. <laughs> in the batter, yep. <laughs> That's awesome. You know, I saw, I saw a banana hack. If you put tinfoil over the stems, it mm-hmm. makes them last longer. Have you ever heard of that? Is that crazy? No, I haven't. Um, TikTok is amazing. Uh, All right, I'm do that. Yeah, totally. No, it made him last like three extra days. I thought this was, you know, a bunch of malarkey. Okay, popcorn or candy at the movies? Popcorn, hundred percent butter. Butter, of course. Vacuum dishes or laundry? <laughs> uh, I'm going to say dishes. Nice. You use a dishwasher? Yes, hundred <laughs> <laughs> percent. Uh, dodgeball or tag? Dodgeball. I'm Dodge honest, ball. I was one of like the slowest players in the end stages of my career. So playing wow. tag was like the bane of my existence. So <laughs> dodgeball. <laughs> dodgeball or kickball? Uh, dodgeball, I think. Oh, nice. Uh, most important characteristic in a partner, humor or intelligence? Oof, that's hard. Um, I'm going to say they're an equal tie. It's really hard wow. to, to pick between the two. All right. I would say my partner, Melody, has both humor and intelligence. Of course. (laughs) Uh, So, Melody, at the 48-minute mark of the podcast, (laughs) mark it down. (laughs) It's a tie. (laughs) That's right. Love language. Uh, I am definitely quality time. Oh. Quality time and words of affirmation. I love spending time experiencing things with people. Um, I'm not like a gift giver. I'm... Hmm. Uh, I'm not really acts of service. So definitely quality time and words of affirmation. So looking back on it, you've had, you know, uh, a couple of relationships. Did you know about that type of thing? Do you think that would have helped you better understand your partners? And has that helped you now? I think it would definitely would have helped me. And I do think it helps me now because I think it's important to understand that about yourself and understand it about your partner because it helps you to be a 
a better teammate to them, right? And to yeah. to love them in the in the way that they want to be loved, and vice versa. So I think it's a really important important thing for everyone to understand about themselves. So if you have a different love language, uh, last question on this because it's interesting to me. Uh, than the other person, is it just about honoring the other? Because what if she's physical touch and mm-hmm. that's not that's not who you are. She's she's gifts. Yeah, yeah. Physical touch is definitely one of mine too. I forgot about that one, but yeah. Um, I think you do have to honor it, but I, and I also think you know you you probably have to find a partner that aligns with you well, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if someone is a physical touch and you're not at all, that I think that would be quite difficult, wouldn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. That's, I think that's the, like this, one of the strongest love languages. So that would be a hard one if, if you both didn't align somewhat. Yeah. Um, but if it's like gift giving and like acts of service, I think you can do those things nicely for another person without, um, without much sacrifice on your end, right? Yeah, totally. I agree. Uh, bungee jumping, cliff diving, or going airborne? Oh my gosh, none of the above. But <laughs> wow, I will, really? I will tell you this, that... <sighs> Jerry Smith was my U21 national team coach. Wow. And he, took, he took a skydiving. So that says a lot about him, right? He took a skydiving. I don't know what it says, but, and I realized that I was scared of heights. Wow. I was up in the plane. And as I was coming down, I felt like a little bit sick because you kind of drift a lot in the air and I get, I get like a little bit of sickness um, from motion. So yeah. I didn't particularly like it. I would never do it again. And <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, now being scared wow. of heights, I don't feel like I'd want to bungee jump or just like go airborne or anything like that. Interesting. Wow. What would you uh, choose? Uh, that's a good question. Mm. I'd like to think that I'd like to go airborne, um, but I feel like cliff diving is the safest. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Who knows? Yeah, my buddy uh, did that in um, uh, Jamaica when I went there to, to visit him and go there for his wedding. It was very interesting to watch wow. the famous area in Jamaica where you do this cliff jumping. What article, uh, what article of clothing, uh, would make you walk out on a date if the other person was wearing it? <laughs> <laughs> Let's say like some sort of like crazy hat. I feel like to the first wow. date. Yeah. No pimping. <laughs> favorite haircut you've ever had and you've had some good ones yeah i think favorite haircut you've ever had is the one that i get for pride weekend every year and it's the equality symbol like shaved in the side of my head as a pattern and i put in the human rights campaign colors for their logo which is the blue square with the yellow equal sign in, in, in inside of it that's awesome. Do you have any gear with, with that type of stuff on it? I have a lot of like t-shirts and things like that, but I just like, you know, pride weekend here in DC, you know, pride month is my birthday month. It's just like so many good memories and like good vibes. Totally. You and Derek Jeter. Uh, <laughs> do you put your left sock on first or your right? You know what? I have never realized which sock I put on, but they're definitely, <laughs> they'll, they'll probably be inside out. <laughs> wow. Really? That's not uncomfortable. Yeah. Wow. Very uh, often. So of the 45 plus countries, which is your favorite? You know, I think I have a couple favorites. Um, Israel was one of the most in- interesting wow. countries I've ever been to. My brother lived there. He lived in Jerusalem wow. within walking distance of the old city. So we got to, you know, the history that's involved in Israel is just incredible. And then we also got to go into the, the West Bank, um, into the Palestinian side. And yeah. I thought that was just a really amazing trip. Um, 
for history purposes, religious purposes, and just like human perspective and understanding. So wait, so you're Jewish? No, I'm not. No. Okay. Interesting. I'm a quarter, I'm quarter Jewish, my, um, my mother's side, but no, I don't, I'm like atheist, you know, I don't really consider myself anything. What did your brother live there for? Just work or interesting? Yeah, he worked. He's a um, foreign service officer for the State Department. Wow. Yeah, so he lived there for. I'm on years. my best behavior, brother. If you're listening to this, <laughs> <laughs> uh, favorite show to watch, a uh, binge watch during COVID. Ozarks. Wow, interesting. Yeah, and the new season's coming out soon. So. Yeah, I've heard good things. That that's on my list. Um, favorite cartoon growing up. Captain Planet or Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles are my two favorite. Love both of those on Saturday morning cartoons. That's cool. Would you rather be compelled to high five everyone you meet or be compelled to give wedgies to anyone in a green shirt? (laughs) High five. I'm I'm a high fiver. (laughs) Definitely like a cheerleader kind of type. So that would would be fun for me. I want somebody to answer the latter one of these times. Okay. Uh, (laughs) Would you rather have to fart loudly every time you have a serious conversation or have to burp after a kiss? (laughs) Oh, wow. I would, I think I would choose burp. God, but damn, that would, that'd be hard for your game, right? That, you would. Really be able to go on dates. that would be embarrassing. You'd have to like, I don't know what you'd have to do, but <laughs> that's hilarious. All right, a few more. Uh, would you rather become twice as strong when both of your fingers are stuck in your ears or qu- crawl twice as fast as you can run? I think twice as strong. It's like having a superpower. Yeah, speaking of superpowers, supersonic hearing or x-ray vision? Um, ooh, great question. I want to say uh, x-ray vision over the supersonic hearing. Wow, interesting. I think I would I would choose hearing. I know, I was thinking about that, but sometimes I'm like, do I want to hear that much? Yeah, 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 like, that's true. Like, turn it off, you know? <laughs> bionic <laughs> arm or bionic leg? Um, bionic arm. Cause it's just one. Just one. Yeah. I think it'd be hard to have just one bionic leg. I feel like a bionic arm would be really useful. <laughs> <laughs> I see the, the little birdie in the head like yeah, no, going right now. Cave or treehouse? Treehouse. It's lighter. Yeah. yeah. Corner kick or indirect kick within scoring distance. Indirect kick within scoring distance. I think it's more exciting and I think it's um, it's more unique in soccer than a corner kick. Oh, you talk about a part of the game that's evolved. Mm-hmm. I mean, curling those balls into the, to the corner of the net. And I mean, that part is just so fun to watch. That was not a thing back, back when for real. Yeah. I mean, that takes so much practice, doesn't it? So much practice, repetition at practice. You have to be really willing to stay after practice and just like hit, ball after ball on that goal totally yeah and you know you get mad when you when you don't hit your spots right just like no, if you're sure. shooting jump shots you're like god dang it you know <laughs> yeah that's interesting uh one rule change you would make in soccer man that's a hard that's another hard one um i think i think i would allow more substitutions i don't think only three subs is necessary i think you can mm. i think you can increase that to five i think that's one thing that the pandemic has, has helped with is realize that you can, you know, five subs doesn't take too much away from the game. It also allows more people to get in. Yeah, totally. I agree. Should headers be illegal? 
You know what? I think that they're trying to do a, a better job of, you know, enforcing it that children under the age of 12 shouldn't head the ball. I, th I think it's a, it's a tough decision. You know, I had a, I had a few head injuries in my career. Um, mm -hmm. I still, to this day, will not head a soccer ball. So I think for me personally, it's not wow. one of my favorite aspects of the game. Mm -hmm. I just don't see it going anywhere. So I, I don't think it should be outlawed, but I, I think we need a, to do a lot more research on that. Yeah, I wonder if there's a way to to have like a modified uh, headgear so that you know it would absorb some of the shock, similar to a helmet or something like that. It'd be interesting. Yeah, I don't know. I think we're like moving more towards just like taking it down with your chest or some sort of other trap that doesn't require yeah. heading. But it's just done so frequently in a game, so it's hard to imagine. What's the one skill that you evolve the most with later in your career? Mm, I think. You know, I think it's just like an overall, um, you know, business sense of, of resourcefulness and um, understanding, understanding what makes me happy, right? I think you play a sport for so long and that just it channels your happiness. And so now it's really trying to figure out what, what makes me happy and being very self-aware. So I think the self-awareness piece. Hmm. Interesting. You didn't mention a skill. You talked about just... Uh doing the things maybe to find better balance in life while mm -hmm. you're still playing later in life. That's yeah, interesting. Definitely. Okay. A couple more. I know you got to go. Okay. Would you, would you rather be, uh, would you rather be unable to use a search engine or social media? Uh, social media. Hmm. Automated home or self-driving car? Uh, self-driving car. I really don't like driving that much. Yeah. Flying carpet or a car that could drive underwater. <laughs> Flying carpet. hundred <laughs> percent. <laughs> Me and if, Aladdin. if your plane was crashing who would you want sitting next to you oh my partner melody well actually no that sounds like really dark isn't it That's see this is this question because is it could go the other way like the 45th yeah. president you might want sitting next to you right yeah. <laughs> i always use that as an example <laughs> you know i'd want the seat to be empty so hmm. Everyone else can live in happy lives, long and happy lives. It's funny, um, uh, Nikki Collin, the head uh, women's coach uh, mm -hmm. for the Atlanta Dream. So she said Larry Bird because she's like, you know, he lived a good life. You know, I'd love to talk <laughs> shop with him on the way down. <laughs> I don't know if that's what you would be doing if your plane is crashing. I think I'd be freaking out. <laughs> right, exactly. I'd be like calling everyone I know, telling them I love them. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Hope or Brian Scurry? Mm. oh wow uh you know we have such a good chapter about hope in our book it's chapter mm. 13 about team chemistry mm. uh, brian scurry is a good friend of mine so i'm i'm gonna say brian scurry just because i i know her well she's an amazing human being and mm. um, she has a great pool in her backyard that i like to go swimming in. <laughs> <laughs> favorite tv show of all time say by the bell wow interesting favorite movie mm -hmm. of all time mm-hmm Favorite movie of all time. Oh, favorite movie of all time. Mm -hmm. um, Last of the Mohicans. Wow. Yeah. Did you like Shawshank? I did like Shawshank. Yeah, I really yeah, did. A great movie. Well, was, uh, yeah, go yeah, ahead. What were you going to say? I was just going to say, it's probably a little slow, Last of the Mohicans now for most people in this generation, but. I loved it. Yeah. Yeah. I loved it. Just like the scenery, the music, everything about it. Yeah. No, it was cool. Well, it's been, uh, I, every time I share space with someone, um, you know, I just can't tell you how much I enjoy the, the discourse and learning and, and uh, people's stories. And, 
uh, you know, we, we started this just talking sports and, and we just hope in 20 years, 50 years, people listen to these and they're still relevant. And yeah. so I applaud you for paying it forward to being true to your inner voice, to your compass and, and, and helping uh, fight the narratives and the spaces that need to be shifted and pivoted and have a little more agility and uh, got nothing but love and the utmost respect for you and, and uh, you know, what your journey represents. Yeah, thank you. And vice versa. And I hope everyone goes out and buys the book. It's totally. available on Amazon and uh, also on our website. It's rtcsoccer.com. So I think, I think your audience would really love it from the perspective of the national team players and also to just the whole idea of social justice. So it's, it's a must buy. That's awesome. Well, I'm definitely going to get my hands on it. Uh, one of our other guests who was arrested in the middle of our podcast, Crystal Robinson. Yeah, it was crazy. She was racially profiled and pulled over oh, just wow. as we were talking about it. Uh, she just had her book come out as well. So I, I got I got some reading to do. So I'm excited. Do, yeah, awesome. All right. Well, anything we can do, you know, down the road, anyone that you think would love to share space with us and keep this conversation going. We don't, you know, we don't want it to, to you know, fizzle out and we want to sure. keep talking about it. So. Uh, let us know and we'll we'll reach out to them and we'd love to have them on and and like i said anything we can do let us know all right thank you for everything bye. all right sounds good all right talk to you soon all right bye we were so honored to have joanna loman join us here in the sports deli on the second to last day of women's history month 2021 remember your voice matters when fighting systemic racism read a book acknowledge your white privilege Watch a movie about institutional racism, call your local or state representatives, and or have a conversation with someone that doesn't look like you. We have to change the economic, educational, police, housing, prison, and voting suppression narratives that currently need to be changed in this country. And the only way to do that is to listen and learn and then help be a part of the mobilization and change that we want to see. Special thanks to our sponsors, SportRx, the leader in sport prescription eyewear. You can find them online at sportrx.com. And don't forget to enter the code DELI10 at checkout for your special 10% discount. City Lokes, C-I-T-Y-L-O-C-S, citylokes.com. And again, don't forget to enter the code THESPORTSDELI at checkout for your special 10% discount. And a special shout out to PSK Collective. You can find them online at pskcollective.com or at walmart.com. And finally, we want to give a shout out to one of our favorite new companies out there, Moolah Kicks, the first women's basketball sneaker brand fit for female ballers. You can find them on TikTok at Moolah, Moolah is M-O-O-L-A-H underscore kicks. Or on Instagram at Moolah Kicks, no underscore. Or online at MoolahKicks.com. My high school team will be getting their shoes next year. And if you're interested, shoot me an email to thesportsdeli at gmail.com. Or DM me on Instagram at Mike Hootner or on Twitter at Michael Hootner, and I'll put you in touch with Natalie, the founder of Moolah Kicks. For Dr. J and Coach K, I'm Hootie Hoot. And until next time, please mask up. Remember, Black Lives Matter. Peace.